Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and we are going to do things a little bit differently for the next month. Due to time zones, we're splitting the team in two. So today I have the Australian contingent of the Wheel Talk Podcast with me, Matt Deneve. Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for having me here. It's, uh, yeah, lots to talk about. Very excited. Thank you. And Gracie Elvin. Hey, hey. I am. Um bit low on sleep, but um, I'm pretty excited to talk about the racing <laughs> after commentating it last night. Yeah, fresh off commentating both the men's and the women's races. So you saw it all. I did. And I think I, for- I forgot it all. <laughs> I'm not very Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I get so present in those um, working environments that I actually struggle to remember what happens sometimes in the racing afterwards. So <laughs> I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> Well, well, we'll talk about what we can today. We have a couple questions. We're going to throw them into the episode because per usual, they're, uh, they fit in well with some of our talking points for later in the show. So I think we should start with LaFleche Malone. There's not a ton to talk about with this one, I think. I might be wrong. But the main talking point is obviously Demi Vollering, who went into the, the bottom of the Murdui with no teammates and basically dropped everybody before the climb had even started, uh, except for Kashini Wadoma, who managed to hold on for like a second and then rode to victory, her second victory in four days, three days. It's pretty impressive, really impressive ride by Demi Vollering. So I think there's like a couple other things to talk about. Uh, for me, one of the most surprising things was Van Vluten on the climb. She's never been great at Low Flesh Malone. She's never won that race, but... I thought that Amstel Gold was because of a mechanical. And we'll get into it when we talk about Liege Bass on the Age. But then when she still didn't look very good at La Flesh Alone, I was like, okay, she's actually not g- doing great. <laughs> she's actually not, um, I think, where she would want to be, which I find really interesting from someone who's been racing for such a long time and knows how to time their um, their fitness. Mm-hmm. It is unusual for sure. And that, like, you're exactly right, Abby. Like, that's what she's known for is uh, her timing to perfection. And particularly because she does so much altitude, that's quite hard to do. There's a um, bit of a few unwritten um, laws around altitude and how you react. And everyone is really different. But like, in general, I can't remember anymore. But it's like day three, you're going to feel awful. Or sometimes you feel really good. Day five, you're I don't know, like you, you kind of have to like kind of figure it out. And usually by day 10, I think you feel pretty good to race. Um, but Anamique can step off altitude within a couple of days and race really well. And um, as we know, she loves altitude she's, or she's been doing heaps in the off season and, and in the season. Um, so I think we were all expecting her to, be peaking by the Ardennes because she hasn't really shown herself yet in the cobbled classics. And I think, you know, we could definitely chalk that down to wanting to prepare for the races that suit her better, but also minimizing that risk in il- injury and illness throughout that that tough chunk of racing uh, earlier in the season. Um, but the Ardennes do suit her on paper and you kind of need to be going quite good now. You don't need to be 100%, but if you want to be doing well in those three grand tours, we can call them, um, you know, now's the time that you're, you're not 80% anymore. You're kind of like 95%. So, yeah, certainly surprised. And something we can go into for the Liège chat was like, okay, Amstel not so good, but Flesh also really not so good why don't they just flip it and go flip it? <laughs> like, I didn't mean to yeah. rhyme then, but, like, I was surprised. Uh, so we, we can talk about that in a little bit of, like, well, why why do they just keep pushing that button when it's just not working at the moment? Why can't they just, like, go all in for another rider instead in, this, in the last yeah. race of that week? You made that good point, I think, live in commentary as well last night, Gracie, when um – you know, Van Vluten just kept attacking and attacking at Liège and, yeah, Lippert was there and looking good. But And I think we'll talk more about Van Vluten later as we kind of look forward to the the stage races because that's going to be fascinating. But it's interesting that uh, Van Vluten hasn't won a one-day race this year so far. It's the first time since 2018 she hasn't won a big spring race. So she's clearly, you know, a little bit down on where she was. But as we've talked about in the past, it could also be, 
you know, that rising level of the peloton. You know, so many riders are, are stepping up this year and, yeah, it's going to be fascinating the next few months, I think. It's rarely ever one reason. So it could be that she's just not, you know, she could be 99% and it's just that 1% that makes the biggest difference, but it's also that depth in the peloton. So it's just a bit of a confluence of, of factors happening at the moment. And because the level is so high, you can't really leave much wiggle room anymore to be not your best. So, yeah, I think that. It's just it just not hasn't been her season yet, but it's not like she has run out of chances. She's got plenty more to come. Yeah, I um you mentioned Lippert and she obviously had an incredible ride at Flesh Alone. She finished second, but it was more the fact that she was able to make up the ground on Volering, who went so early in the climb that was impressive to me. Like she started the climb in a group of pure climbers really and there was a huge gap to Volering for that climb and she she made up all the ground and Volering got some distance again before the finish but it was really really an impressive ride by Leanna Lippert I think she's a really exciting racer to watch as we move into the stage races yeah agreed that was an impressive performance and I think that's a really good point Abby like that gap at the bottom that was created by Demi and Cassia was the only one to really follow. And I'm not quite sure why that gap happened, if it was one person that had just dropped the wheel or if uh, I know the feeling of being a bit scared going into a big uh, sector or climb and just wanting, like your natural instinct is to just want to back off as and go as late as possible. So maybe some riders were just worried about using up those watts right at the start of the climb. Um, but no one else could do what Lippert did actually. So if you disregard Demi's performance, Lippert was still head and shoulders above everyone else as well. And Garcia was trying to follow Lippert and she did blow near the top. So she wasn't able to do what Lippert did either. There was a couple of riders that just kind of clawed back right at the end, but to have that sustained effort for the the majority of that climb was a really impressive ride. Yeah, I think you're right, Gracie. I think a lot of riders would have looked at Demi rolling off the front and thought, this is probably just a bit too early. You know, it's such a hard climb. It gets so steep at the end there. They're probably thinking I've got, you know, limited limited energy here, you know, limited chances. So waiting until later on, but it was, it was kind of too late by that point. And I wonder if, wonder what might've happened if Lippert had followed Vollering from the start, if she could have, whether that would have changed things, whether she would have had more for that last little kick. Because it looked like there was a moment there where she was on, uh, Volering's wheel where it looked like she might have just been able to hang on and then just completely imploded when Demi went again um, which is a shame but yeah a great ride by her for sure and a great ride by Guy Rilini to finish third as well and she was another one who kind of she said after the race that she her whole idea going into the climb was just to ride her own pace and hope that it worked out and she finished third which is a big result for for her and I think she's another one going into the stage races who will be quite exciting I don't know like Trek when it comes to stage racing uh GC type riders they don't they haven't really had much success in the climbing climbing heavy races so it'll be interesting to see how they their new riders their new signings have will change their their approach to those races I feel like Guy really She's really, really good at climbing. <laughs> oh, I was just, yeah, I think we've only just seen the beginning. I think she's only just like building that confidence and uh, I think she's got way more left to, in the tank to give and she's still pretty young. So I think that, yeah, she's going to be the one, that maybe the climber to beat in the years to come, but she could be also vying for some pretty decent stage wins coming up in the bigger tours. Yeah, I think so. And she's coming into such good form now and the, the Vuelta only starts a week from now or something. So uh, she's on the start list there and will definitely be one to watch because there's some pretty gnarly climbs there at the end of the race, some long climbs where she'll really you know, be in her element. And then presumably she'll be at the Giro as well a few months later being a home race. You'd, you'd think Trek would send her there as well. So yeah, definitely one of the most exciting prospects of this season. Just 21 first year pro. Yeah, amazing effort. It's so weird that the Vuelta is already like in a week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've shifted it. It feels so weird to, yeah, that we're not like looking ahead to a couple stage races that are like sprinter friendly, like the women's tour, but instead we're just like straight into the hilly, hilly stuff. 
It'll be an adjustment. All right, let's talk about Liege Bastion Liege because it was a really exciting race. I mean, I think for me, when I did the preview and I told everybody that no one was allowed to pick Demi Vollering because I didn't think she could be beat, I was right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was such an exciting race to the very end. There was a really interesting breakaway. There was Marlon Rusa just like being a complete boss uh, up until the very end and a really great ride by Elisa Longoborghini to finish second and hold on to Volering and some interesting tactics from Trek. But yeah, at the end of the day, it was Volering who took the triple, the Amstel Gold, uh, Liege, Le- Bass on Liege and Flesh Wallone, which hasn't happened since Anna Vanderbregen did it in 2017. And I didn't know that Anna Vanderbregen is actually coaching Demi Volering this season. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Some good, good heritage there now for the, those riders. Yeah, seriously. So let's let's talk about it. I want to start with the breakaway because this breakaway to me was such an interesting breakaway to be. Uh, there was interesting riders in this break, like Esme Pepperkamp. I guess I would have maybe expected to see someone like her in the break. Anna Henderson, kind of the same. But like Marlon Russo, you think after she won Gent Wevelgem that there would there would be some hesitation to let her get any kind of distance from the Peloton ever again. And Kashini Wadoma, who unfortunately flatted out of the break, but that is a really interesting shift in tactics for Canyon Sram. They've we've criticized them for always riding for Cassie in the past, but this is yeah, trying to get her in front of the race, I feel like, was maybe the main goal, and obviously it didn't work out. But I like that they mixed it up a bit. Yeah, me too. Because uh, and I really love the the chat that you had with Brody in the live podcast at Amsel because you were talking about that. What should Canyon Tram do? Like they just can't quite get to that the podium, let alone the win. And it's but they're just not they're. They're not that far off either. So do they race more offensively or do they sit back? And they tried the offensive tactic and it could have worked, actually. It was a real shame to see that the flat for Neo Doma. So I think that she would have been really disappointed and very dissatisfied with the spring classic season so far. But she was so close to the mark and I think that's sometimes what hurts the most. Um, but I think that they they do have quite a good depth in their team and they just needed to just shift their tactics just a little bit so yeah kudos to them for for trying that out and I really wish that we could have seen on the coverage where that attack went and how because very unusual to see that combination of riders and and Amanda Spratt was also in that as well so some of the favorites of the whole race to be let in a break like my assumption is they were not let into the break. It happened because it was forced on a difficult part of the course. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a good break and it was certainly a danger, but it put SD Works in a really good position. It put Trek Segafredo in a pretty good position and everyone else I think was just, uh, you know, trying to take their chances as well. So, yeah, overall top teams represented there and <laughs> I just was very puzzled by the fact that Marlon Russo was allowed in that group though. Yeah, I turned on the live coverage and I was like, what? Did no one learn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's like you said, Gracie, that it wasn't a case of being allowed if it was just that Russo did like she did on the Redoute and just rode everyone off her wheel and only a handful of people were able to go with the... Um, yeah, man, she looks just so strong, and I would not have picked her to to drop Sprat on that climb, you know. But she's obviously just in incredible form, and uh, her spring has just been pretty amazing. You know, she she's obviously won Gent Wevelgem, but just the support rides she's been able to do uh, to, to help Vollering, to help Kopecky, and then obviously picking up results herself. Um, such a great worker for the team and I'm not surprised at all that the team's renewed her for another year after this one because yeah she's been amazing oh yeah that's for sure and we've like a lot of the time we've compared her to Ellen Van Dyke in what she can offer a team but I hate to say it but she's better like she's just so versatile <laughs> um so Ooh. capable like I'm a huge Van Dyke fan don't get me wrong but like Rusa can do it all I haven't really seen her to finish it off though in a small group sprint so that could maybe be a weakness of hers but bloody she's bloody strong so I wouldn't put it past her to be able to do it 
Ellen was actually at the like recon, did the recon rod with the Trek girls to yeah for the LBL course. It was pretty cool to see. Yeah, for sure. For their belly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Trek's tactics were really really interesting. They had Amanda up there in that break, and then when the break had exploded because of the pressure of Rusa and riders were coming back and Amanda came back. Trek made this really interesting move with 15K to go where basically Amanda was on the front. They kind of went through a corner faster than everyone else. And Amanda, Sharon, and Elisa separated themselves from that whole group of incredibly strong riders with only Elise Shabby was able to hold on. So for a minute, you had like three Trek Segafredo riders and Elise just like riding away from the rest of the race with uh, Marlon Roos is still out front. And I find it found it super fascinating. And like even when Amanda uh was was done was cooked and it was just Sharin and Aliza. Sharin let out Aliza to be able to attack and go up the road and bridge up to Marlon Russo and then that kind of like set Aliza up for a really really in a really good position for the rest of the race which was cool to see because I I did pick Aliza as my pick and then I was looking at the results of Amstel. I was looking at the results of La Fleshville, and I was like, actually, I don't know if her form is quite there yet. I don't know if she's going to have the legs to be able to get on the podium. So I'm going to change my pick. And I'm so upset because now I'm competitive. We have this this, <laughs> this uh, escape collective member is tallying up all of our <laughs> picks, and I have zero points. <laughs> I was like, no, I picked Aliza. But I, I wasn't expecting this good of a ride from Aliza, I don't think, given the season she's had so far since winning UA Tour and then having COVID-19, a pretty bad case of COVID-19. This was such a great ride for her, but also just really, really fascinating tactics from Trek. I, find them, I found them super exciting to watch. Yeah, I think SD Works obviously been the best team of the spring by by quite a margin, but I think Trek will come away from the classics really holding their heads up high. I think they've done a really good job. You know, they came into it so depleted with, you know, Van Dyke out, Hansen Dagden out until recently, Chapman out, Elisa Sick, like you mentioned. Um, but they've just rallied really well. They've ridden well as a team. Um uh, you know, emergence of Riolini, we talked about that, Van Anroy winning as well. Um I think, and then, yeah, Sunday was a good example of that day. You know, Spratt was caught, but then she threw herself entirely into working for others and then Elisa finishing it off with a really good result. So, um, yeah, I think they can they can be very proud of what they managed to pull together this spring. And they didn't have as many wins as as, as uh, SD Works, but then no one else did. So uh, I think they had a, a really very good few months there. I think it was um, interesting too because I think initially I was hoping that Spratt would just keep riding because it, the nature of the course, it is better just to be a bit ahead of the race when she was dropped by Rusa. But then when she realized that she was getting caught, she just did sit back. And I was like, finally, because... No one was riding. It was like the classic scenario again, the second group curse of like, oh, God, they're just going to let Rusa ride away. And so it was really important for Spratt to come back and they just went full throttle. And that did encourage a couple of other teams to put riders in the front too, which is really important. And that's the whole point of, you know, starting <laughs> riding properly and not just with one rider but with two because, you can't just pull back Russo with one rider. You need at least two or three, if not four or five. Um, and that's what happened when Spratt came back. And, yeah, I think Elisa's second place was full credit to her team that day. So I think they pulled super hard. They were able to encourage other riders to work as well. And I really love that, like, they were pretty much going full gas into that final climb and that, that caused that little gap after one of the corners. And... That's great racing. I was just like really happy to see that set Elisa up super well and she might not be back at 100%, but boy, she's become such a classy bike rider now that she can get away with still um, not being at her best and still pulling off a great result as we've seen in the last couple of weeks since Flanders. So I think overall great racing by Trek. And I think Spratt's going to be actually quite pleased with her performances of the Ardennes week because she knows that she's capable of more and has done so in the past, but like all things considered over the last couple of years with a um, bit of misfortune for her, I think that she is uh, showing herself to be uh, immediately a valuable member of that team coming into Trek 
uh, this year and she looks like she's going to be coming back into her best maybe this year. So I think that she'll be getting a lot of confidence and satisfaction for from her performances, particularly at Liège, and using that to have that confidence moving forward into the tours. Yeah, and that that move, that whole scenario like leading into La Redoute then like made for a really, really interesting group that formed on the climb that caught Rusa and then um when they were going over the top of that final climb after that group had finally caught Marlon Rusa and there was Eliza was in there and we had Demi in there and Anamik there was this moment where Rusa just like did not stop she just attacked again and Eliza followed her and it was a really they, she was in a great position and I love that Rusa just like wasn't about to quit wasn't about to sit back and wasn't about to lead Demi Bollering out. Instead, they were on the aggressive from the moment that she was caught anyway. And it was really hilarious watching it because I knew the result already. And I, and when Elisa and Marlon were off the front, I was like, I'm so confused how this is going to play out. But then Demi bridged up to them and on one of the uncategorized climbs to the finish, they ended up finally dropping Marlon Rusa. And then Demi and Elisa worked great together actually all the way up until the finish which was cool to see because a lot of times you know you you'd not want to be teammates with your rival at that point in the race and in the sprint um Eliza did the the aid the Eliza did the uh when in doubt lead it out and it didn't end well for her but it was an exciting race. Like, I feel like even though the rider that I knew was going to win won the race, it was a super, super exciting race with a lot of really, really interesting moments. And I just loved it. Yeah, for sure. I think that finish was like exciting too, because they played cat and mouse and they had enough of a gap that it was almost a sure thing, but it was also like, well, they can't really sit up too much more because they could get caught. So I thought that was kind of fun at the end, but uh, I was surprised. I thought Elisa would have just slotted into second wheel with a K or even 2K to go. So she was pulling through until uh, less than a K to go. I can't remember exactly now, but um, she should have been in second wheel. But actually, I don't think she could have beat Demi in the end anyway. So I think overall she didn't really put a foot wrong all day. She she was on the front at the finish, which is always tough to win from that position. But she jumped first. She didn't let Demi get the jump on her possibly went touch too early, but ultimately Demi was just stronger and faster at the end and it wasn't a photo finish. Just incredible how good Vollering is at the moment. You know, she's always been a, a strong rider, but it feels like this year she's just taken another big step up. She's done eight race days this year, won five of them, second on two of those. Uh, the the one the first one she was second on was Flanders, where Kopecky won and she could have won that. Second, second was Brabantse Pale, where she forgot to eat and sprinted too early. So if she hadn't made a mistake, it could have been another win. And the only other finish was 17th at Omloop, where her two teammates went 1-2. So um, just an incredible start to the season. And she's obviously, we saw last year at the um, Tour de France Femme avec Swift that she was among the best climbers there. She's, you know, she can go it alone. She can, and, and now her sprint is as good as anybody just about, in, in particularly in those long, hard, hilly races. So um, she's definitely earned a bit of a break now and I'm, I'm keen to see how she comes back for the tours because I think particularly Van Vluten's like a level down from where she was last year the battle between those two at the tour could be quite fascinating to watch. Yeah. And I just love how emotional she is, like how much humanity she has. Obviously Anna Vanderbregen was an incredible athlete and watching her race was, I mean, a privilege, but she never, she's very stoic at the finish. Even when she wins, she never really showed much emotion. And Demi is just always, just always full of emotion. She cried at every single win for all three Ardennes. It wasn't like she won Liège Bass on Liège and it was just another tick on her list of races. It's the second time she's won the race even and she was still super emotional at the finish. And I just I just love that. I, mm. I love like feeling that tug on the heartstrings watching a rider in their post-race interview. It It just makes me like so much more excited to watch Demi race all year, but also like, her dog was at the finish and (laughs) (laughs) 
I too would race a lot faster if I knew that there was a dog waiting for me to finish. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cute. I I would love the insight though as to why she gets so emotional and I, I really enjoy it too. Definitely makes me emotional, but I don't know if I'm projecting, but I wonder like what's going through her mind. Ish. It just feels like more than just simple emotion of the relief of winning a race. It looks like she just puts so much pressure on herself maybe and maybe there's just a few other things. I think, you know, the impact of Amy Peters is still playing a lot on the minds of uh, many of those Dutch riders and other former teammates as well. So I think a lot of them still feel quite uh, grateful. But I don't know, there's just something there in Demi's uh, emotion that I feel it tells a deeper story and I would just love for someone to ask her that question of what is going through her mind or if she's just I wonder really emotional. get her on the podcast. Yeah. That'd be so cool. <laughs> it's hard to get those SD Works writers uh, in interviews. They're, they're a little harder to get than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> but we could try. That'd be really cool. I have multiple questions I want to ask her. I want to ask her about the van life because her and her fiance, they live that van life. I want to ask her about training in Switzerland and uh, training the with a dog backpack. and a backpack. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be really cool to have her on the podcast. I'll I'll put the feelers out. Especially if she's got a little bit of downtime now. I Yeah, I would imagine that she would be taking a break and building up into the tour now. Because um, I... She was so close last year to being able to compete. And, and like you said, Matt, if Anamik doesn't, like, I don't know, find find her legs, which I fully thought that we were going to go into Liege-Bastogne-Liege and we were going to see Anamik, the Anamik that rode away from everybody last year at Liege-Bastogne-Liege and won solo. I was like, this switch is coming. It's just, like, a matter of when. And I thought it was going to be on Sunday and it wasn't and I'm so interested to see what she does for the rest of the season and how how her form comes around because she looked terrible in that group I mean she looked like she was barely hanging on and mm. she did a ton of work in the chase to try to bring back um Volering and Eliza when they were off the front but she just doesn't have that spark that she that she's had before and I think that there was a spring maybe it was 20 21 where we thought we we kept saying like oh she she's not looking great she's not looking great but there's always a moment where like mm. all of a sudden she's flying and it just didn't happen this spring yeah for sure i know we're gonna get, might get in trouble for this but she she doesn't look good usually anyway which is like tough as a commentator because you're trying to read into people's body language and she just she gives it all away like some people don't give anything away until they blow up but she looked like she was really suffering on Sunday, but she kept coming back. And in fact, she was actually putting in more work than others. And I was getting really frustrated. And what I've alluded to already is like, why doesn't she just go all in for Lippert? They doesn't look like they talked. I, and then finally you could see them chatting on the, the, sh the coverage. And I, I was like, what are they talking about? <laughs> and then hopefully they were trying to figure out a plan. And then it just kind of kept happening how it was happening in Anamique, like forcing things and attacking and making it hard and like actually making it hard for Lippert too. So I just think that, I don't know, I think she should have just ceded the leadership that day and just gone all in for Lippert and, and used her time trialing ability for good instead of evil. Gracie, you, you know Anamique <laughs> very well. Do, do you... <laughs> Do you feel like uh, some champions of that sort of level are able to ride for others easily, but others aren't? Do you feel like she's the sort of rider that if she's having a bad day and has a teammate who is riding really well, she'd be happy to say, right, it's all for you today, Liana? Or would she feel more of a sense of like, this is my team, I am the marquee rider and, and I'll always give 100% for me kind of thing. What do you reckon? Uh, I don't even think it's either of those options in particular. I think that she just believes that she can suffer and if she's having a bad yeah. day, it's irrelevant and she's just going to keep pushing and you can see that clearly on almost every race she does. She's, she's really one of the most resilient and one of those riders that just can push that extra bit, much like Mariana Voss. They just go into the red further than everyone else. And I think that 
training of her mind for so many years now is really difficult to then step back and be like, uh, I'm not going to do this to myself today because it's actually not working. I think that she just struggles mm -hmm. with that thought. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's like a selfish thing. Uh, it's frustrating sometimes to watch and it has been frustrating as a teammate in the past, but uh, it's it's not done with ill intent. It's just because she yeah. really believes that she is capable of big things and generally she is. Uh, she probably doesn't have all that much experience of not being among the very best in a race when she's giving her hardest, right? Giving giving her best. Because for so many years now, she's been so, so good. And when she's on form, she just rides away from everyone. And, and it must be frustrating for her and difficult for her to maybe know how to handle that. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. I think she would be quite frustrated and um, dissatisfied with the season so far. But like we've said, like there's, there's still some big things to, to come and, I think that it's been, you know, clearly noted that she's aiming for the tours anyway. So um, I think she would have definitely wanted more in these one-day races, but all is not lost yet. But it's a shame because it's also a loss for Lippert now too because she was on fantastic form this spring season and she just wasn't given enough support. It'll be interesting to see how this impacts, if this impacts her racing in the in the tours at all if she's just going to be able to bounce back from not having the spring that she probably would have hoped it being her last spring in the peloton or if she'll just be able to move on i mean she has been racing for so long and she's got so much experience but it's also yeah it's unusual to see her not in the top three in the world and yeah, I don't know what kind of impact that would have on her men mental, the mental side of now getting ready for the tours or if it's just if it wouldn't have any impact at all. And she just keeps going on as if it's just another race to be continued. Then I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to talk about Rihanna Marcus because she rode so incredibly well for in in the Ardennes in Amso Gold. She also was up there and in this race, I was really, really excited to see her in that final group because I don't think we would have seen her in a group like this previously. And I think that this is just a great indication of how much better she gets every single year. And also that Yumbo Visma is really willing to put in the effort for her to be the leader because they've always had Voss. And when Voss isn't at the race, I love to see that they've changed leadership to Rihanna Marcus because she's been a domestique for so long and she's worked her butt off for her team. And it's not always the case that a domestique is, it gets better and better and isn't and is given leadership. Like usually you get better as a domestique and you're just a better domestique. It's not like you get better as a domestique and then they're like, actually, maybe you want to try to win this race. That doesn't happen very often. So I just love seeing Rihanna Marcus up there and she had such a good ride on Sunday. Agreed. I think um, potentially that um, national championship was that catalyst and turning point she needed because I think there's so many riders I've seen over the years and I was one of them too. You're just knocking on the door for so long and your head just gets a bit cracked by it and all you need is one win to turn it all around for yourself but also for the team to back you. I think that um, the first big win I had in Europe was it was a relief because I just I got to the point where I was just like maybe I, I can't, maybe I'm just not a winner, maybe I will just have to be a support rider. Um, so I was just like even when people would say good luck to me before uh, a race, I'd just be kind of, I'd, got, I'd gotten to the point where I was kind of like, oh, it just felt like bad to hear that because I just felt like I didn't deserve the support anymore. And to get that breakthrough win was just this massive relief, but it gave me that confidence, but it also helped the team believe in me again as well. And I think for her in that position too, I think that she, She's she's just in that middle phase now of like knocking on the door. She's she's opening the door, but she hasn't quite stepped through. So she just needs a good podium result or a win to really solidify that. But she's really capable and she's just been ever so slowly chipping away into the top tens, into the top fives. And I think she's going to be there pretty soon. Yeah, the uh, the Dutch 
the Dutch champions jerseys are pretty uh, obvious reminder in the peloton that this is a rider that deserves to be respected, you know, by other riders, but also by her team and, you know, to, to give her those opportunities where available. And I hope she gets more opportunities this season. I wonder what her her calendar looks like from here, whether she'll get some more chances as well or whether she'll be back mainly into domestic mode. But yeah, hopefully she gets a shot because she's been amazing. Yeah, I think that that's a, it's actually a great segue into the stage races. I don't have anything, anything else on Liege, Bast on Liege. If you guys don't, then I can segue us. Cool, I will segue. So we have a question from Dan uh, from the Escape Collective chat. Despite SD Work's success, the spring classics have been anything but boring. Aside from Rooster's win at Get Webblegam, all the finishes have been within a handful of seconds and felt like a team effort rather than one rider above everyone else like Annemiek Van Bluten in the past. Do you think the coming stage races will be more open than we've seen? Can Trek, Segafredo, FDJ, Suez, Movistar, and Movistar challenge SD Works? And is Annemiek Van Bluten struggling or just peaking later? before retiring on a high in August. I want to talk about the stage races coming up because like we said, uh, Rihanna Marcus kind of connected to our conversation about Rihanna Marcus. The stage races are awesome for riders like her because it's multiple days. The pressure is off a little bit. The racing is not as intense. And so riders like her can get, there's way more of a chance for them to get a result. So going into the stage races, I'm really excited to see how someone like Rihanna Marcus and Leanne Lippert, like she's she's gonna have some awesome opportunities. I really hope. Like I I hope that Movistar sees how well she rode this week and all spring and is willing to give her some opportunities. But I also think that with the stage races coming up, we are gonna see those other teams challenge SD Works. I don't think it's gonna be the SD Works show all stage race season because we have some incredible riders that are peak that are now coming back into better form. Like Aliza, Lizzie is back with Trek Segafredo, which is huge. We didn't even mention this. Lizzie came back for La Flesh Alone from having her second baby and she raced flesh alone and LBL with, with track Segafredo. And it's going to be huge for them to have her back on the team. Even if she's not on top form, her captain on the road abilities and also her, just her in general being anywhere around the team. She has this ability to just lift the atmosphere up and make it feel more fun and make it feel more carefree. And a team really benefits from somebody like that. So I can't wait to see how Trek does with, their riders coming back into form. Obviously Brody Chapman is going to be back at some point as well. So they're going to have her back on the team. So I think like, if you look at the teams that were just below SC works all spring, Trek Segafredo is going to be an absolute force going into the stage races. And I think FDJ Suez as well, because Marta Cavalli looked all right. She looks like she's coming back. I don't want to put any pressure on her. I, I think it's important for her to just, ride on feel, but we also have Avita Music who rode incredibly well at La Flesh Wallonne and is a really exciting young French talent. So I think for those teams, there's there's so much potential for exciting racing to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited too to see how Canyon SRAM go. We've talked a bit about them already, but they've got so many good riders that have been thereabouts. Uh you know, you mentioned it before, Gracie, like not quite cracking the, the podium, but in those top fives and stuff. Um, you know, Elise Chabet, Soraya Paladin. Um, Balanfine's been really good as well as a first-year pro. Niwadome, obviously. Micah van der Doon was impressive earlier on. Shari Boss out as well. They've got so many good riders that are coming through and just knocking on the door. And I think, like you said, Abby, with all those additional opportunities that the stage races bring and slightly reduced pressure, I think... I hope that the team gets a chance to to yeah take it up to the to the ST Works and Treks of the world because they've raced well. I've, I've enjoyed the aggression aggression that they've shown and the positivity that they've shown a lot of the time. And hopefully, this is their chance now to capitalize on that. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. I think there's there's a nice freshness to the Canyon Tram team this year, and I think that they've got a, a little bit more. I don't know what the right word is, courage or guts or something. Like they just haven't quite been able to pull it together yet. But I, I agree with that less pressure coming into some of the tours. It's not easier to get a stage win. It's like it's always hard no matter what race it is to get a win. But like 
it is slightly easier than these one-day big classics. Like we've just been stacked back to back. They're almost all world tour races that we've had so far. So to have some stage wins and some um, GC battles that can take that pressure off some of the the other riders to then go for those opportunistic wins can be really good. But I think, yeah, like going back to Abby's um, point about FDJ as well, I think maybe they've been the most disappointed almost in this spring. I think that they had a lot more expectations. I'd see Canyon Tram and plenty of other teams as more of the underdogs, but I'd put FDJ more up there with the top teams now in being able to win big races and having that expectation and having uh, Cavalli not going so well due to uh, various reasons this spring. Hopefully she can come good for the tours, but I think Grace Brown's going to be very dissatisfied with her spring. We know what she can be capable of and she just wasn't quite on the mark. Um, And Ludwig has, you know, really not shown herself at all. There's been some mostly bad luck, some crashes, and not quite sure really where her form is at. But I think for that team, yeah, I think they've got a lot of work to make up for now with that disappointing start to the season. They've they've had some success, of course, but I think overall that's not what they came here for. So I think we might see a bit of vengeance there. Yeah, especially after how amazing their season was last year. You really would have expected a lot more from them the beginning of this year because you you like you said, Gracie, you win a race and it carries over into the next race and the next race and the next race. And they were so good last year. I mean, they were incredible in the spring classics. They had Cavalli winning Amso Gold and LaFleche Malone back to back. They had Cecily Utrecht Ludwig win uh the Tour of Norway and or the Scandinavia tour of Scandinavia and it was just a, such an incredible season for them and I was expecting a lot more from them and they they did deliver in the beginning with Grace Brown winning tour down under but then they just couldn't bring that over to Europe for various different reasons that happen to teams all the time but going into the stage races I think I would like to see a lot more from them and I think they're totally capable of of that and I I feel like Evita Music is such an interesting rider. She's been, ever since she had that result at the Giordana in 2020, she's been a rider to watch, but not quite a rider to watch, like an, a rider to keep a side eye on. And <laughs> with how she rode at La Fleche Wallone, I feel like she's she's getting up to the potential that she, that we know she has. And I, and so going into races like the Giro, for example, where there's there's steep climbs and long climbs for a rider like her, it'll be really, really interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, and I think she her season will be weighted more towards the tours than it was the one-day races. We saw her at a few of the one-day races, obviously, you know, Flesh One you mentioned and a few others, but it'll be really now that her season starts to pick up and presumably the tour will be a big focus for her again uh so yeah i'd expect her to do some pretty big things in the next few months oh yeah and they won the stage of the tour that was my that was my favorite win of 2022 that was like (laughs) such an incredible anyway so um one other rider that i'm really excited to watch going into the tour tours and i don't think as a team like i don't she's really interesting because she she basically does not have a team to back her and that's mavi garcia she rode super well at La Flesh Wallone, and she's obviously been a really strong climber for a really long time, and she's moved teams this year. But she went to live, and they've not had very many results since Lota Capecchi left for SD Works. And I think that she's a really exciting rider for these tours, but I just don't know how the team is going to back her in, in these races because they've just you just don't really see them in the peloton at all anymore. Yeah, I think um, it was interesting for her to move away from UAE into the live team and uh, it's it's not a surprise. I think when you're in that back end of your career and you're capable of some big results, it's nice to be the main leader of the team. But with that comes a lot of pressure and, of course, you need the support to do it as well. So it works for some people and not others and it's just not quite working for her at the moment. She definitely needs a bit more support there. Um, not sure how they're going to pull it together or, or what riders I'll be looking to for that. Um, but she was pretty good at flesh. So I think that she's, uh, you know, she's going to be coming into form and maybe she prefers the more tour-style racing anyway. 
Yeah, you mentioned UA the UAE team, ADQ. I'm I'm curious to see how they're going to do in the stage races because they've obviously had a lot of turnover picking up a lot of the Valkar travel and service riders. And uh, Sylvia Persico has had some really good results. And they've got some other riders on the team that I'm curious to see how it's going to go once they get to the stage races. Like... I mean, they picked up like Michaela Harvey, who was an incredible young rider and had a couple off years when she went to Canyon Sram. And I'm hoping to see her back up up there in the in the climbing races because she was really, really good at the Giro in 2020. And there's a couple other riders on that team that I'm just curious how they're going to put it together, because so far it's been the Sylvia Persico show and Bastianelli, of course, and it's her last year. So I think that she'll also be really keen to get some results before the season's over. I wonder how they'll use Persico for the stage races, how many they'll send her to, which ones they'll focus on. Cause you know, we saw at the, the Tour de France last year that she was excellent. She was yeah the most versatile rider there probably. And yeah, great to watch. And she's been great to watch the last few weeks and months as well. So uh, I'm very keen to see her race and hopefully she can get a chance for some more wins. Cause she's, she's always thereabouts, isn't she? Yeah. And I really love that win at Brabanza Pils. I, I think that will give her a lot of confidence to, you know, keep being that versatile rider. Mm. But you have to imagine all of those, you know, I call them A-listers. All the A-listers <laughs> wouldn't want to be at the tour again this year. So, yeah, Matt, I think that's a good point as to what other tours they do as well. And I think that is a bit of an individual choice. Like you can imagine Anamik's going to do all of the big ones and she'd like to take the Triple Crown again, but uh, some riders might opt not to do the Giro in preparation for the tour. Yeah, I wonder if Persico goes to the Giro, being Italian, you know, home race and all that. But yeah. It's just, it's a long season, isn't it? There's so many races. And if you're a rider that can perform well in tours as well as the one day races, it's, it must be really hard to peak and then come down and peak again and know how to, know when to do that exactly and where to put your focus. I mean, two of you, Abby and Gracie, you'd you know much better than me how, how that works, the, the peaking and coming down and all that. But um, it, it strikes me as a, a real challenge to get that right, to make sure that you're hitting the targets that you want and also the team wants. Especially now that there's so much more racing and the level is so much higher and it's not like you can sit out a bunch of races so that you can peak for something unless you're somebody like Anamik. Like if the team wants you to go to races and they make your schedule and they're like, you're going to these races and you have to go to those races. And if you're not fit and you can't get fit through racing, then it's, yeah, it'd be really hard to be able to hit every single goal that you wanted to. I I don't know how, I mean, when I was racing, I never raced as much as they're racing now. It's wild how many races back to back that they're all doing at the moment. And it's only going to get more crazy, I feel like. So stage racing season will be interesting. We don't have as many big gaps as we did before. I mean, after the classics, usually we have like this huge gap and then we have the women's tour. And this year... We're just like straight into the Vuelta. Yeah, I think that it, there's um, already some teams that have been struggling with their rosters as well this year, just with injury, illness and extra. <laughs> so I think that it's it's a it's a bumper season. I feel like every year it's just like more and more racing back to back and I think that's a, a struggle. And we're, I think we're at that turning point in women's cycling now to have bigger teams to be able to um, specialize even further and to have riders not having to go to so many races. So we're not quite at the, the, um, two version, two rostered seasons yet. Like, well, the men have maybe three, but, uh, I think we're, we're getting to that point that teams need to be at least 15 riders or more now. So I think that, yeah, there could be some, some teams that won't field full size teams at some of the tours. That um, kind of brings us into another question that we got from a listener. How does everyone rate this part of the season? And do you think that relegation and Olympic qualification will play a role in the remainder of the season? Allison Jackson racing the Pan American Championship races in Panama was a big surprise. Um, and I think, I mean, for Allison specifically, I feel like for her, yeah, those Olympic, Olympic points, those UCI points from racing Pan Ams would be a big motivating factor for flying all the way to Panama right after racing Amso Gold. Um, but I, 
I do think that the relegation, maybe not relegation, because I think it's a little bit too early to see how that's going to play out in women's cycling. Or I feel like, I guess, the teams that, the top teams that are currently dominating the sport don't really care about relegation. And I feel like those teams that do need to worry about relegation just can't compete. So I don't know how they're going to, it's like they're going to be racing for minor placings just to get some points to be able to stay in the world tour. And I don't know how that's going to impact racing. It's like a total minefield that I don't even know how to wrap my head around it just yet. I feel like I need to see it play out a little bit before I can kind of figure out how that's going to play a role in women's cycling. What do you guys think? I'm kind of off the back with the relegation stuff, but what's what's the is it this season that relegation kicks in or is it from next season? It's this season. What does that look like? I think it's just kind of similar to the men's where this is where I think we just need to do a little bit more research so we can touch on it a little bit in the next episode. But I'm pretty sure it's the same as the men's where just the the teams that don't that fall on a certain uh, level in the relegation ranking aren't they aren't world tour and so it seems like human powered health and uno x and um israel premier tech those kind of teams that are really fighting for points at this at this point in the season i need coffee but it's 8 30 <laughs> so yeah we def- definitely need some more info on that but i feel like the points are like the least of the problems that need to be in consideration for relegation <laughs> women's teams um i think it should be more yeah, as of, we're watching everything play out with Zach, yeah there's like <laughs> it needs to be preventative more than curative in my opinion i think that teams should have to prove certain things before they're allowed a world tour status in the first place but uh, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that at some point, and we've probably already <laughs> talked about it a fair bit. Yeah, we'll do a little bit more research on the relegation and and get back to you guys on that because that's actually a really interesting conversation for us to have in the future. I do think that the Olympic qualification is something that's probably on everyone's mind as we get closer to the Olympics and closer to the cutoff point that the nations are able to get points to qualify for the Olympics. And I think this plays a little bit more into the men's side since they lost a huge percentage of the Peloton for the 2024 games. Um, with the new distribution of athletes, they've, they're down to, well, a women's sized Olympic Peloton. And I think for the men that is, they just don't even know what to do with that. (laughs) Um, but for the women, I do think that there, there are riders like Allison Jackson who are, thinking a lot about the Olympic qualification at this point and are going to be hunting for points to prove that they should be picked for their nations, but also that their nations have more than one rider on the start line. Yeah. It's a really, uh, it's a, it's, even though it's a four year cycle, it's kind of like a two year game. So the points now are starting to matter with the nation's rankings and the uh, qualification of uh, amount of sports per country. Um, it's tough to be in a position now to be a, a high points getter because that doesn't guarantee you a spot next year. Um, we've seen that happen in the past in road cycling and mountain biking. I'm sure it happens in every sport where you could have been one of the main points getters for your country, but then the year of the Olympics, you're not selected for the team for one reason or another. So it's a tough game to play and it's a bit of a balancing act, particularly because pretty much every rider is in a professionally a privately owned professional team so there's that also that political game to play of being allowed to go and do other races like the continental championships outside of the professional racing roster that was given to you by your pro team which is paying you so that's a it's it's a tricky game to play and that was always a tough one with the um, green edge squad too because we had so many aussies on the team so i think that will slowly start to filter into some of, the, some of the dynamics again in women's cycling. We're not seeing it too much yet, but for sure in the second half of the season, you'll start to notice it a little bit, but uh, next year will be quite a big deal. <laughs> it's crazy that the Olympics are already next year, I guess, because we had we had it postponed a year. It feels like it was yesterday. <laughs> I know, it's so strange. So how do, how do you guys rate the spring? I feel like it was pretty good. Like it was a lot of really, really exciting racing. There was a lot of surprise winners, even though we had a lot of SD works 
winning races, but I but I do agree with what Dan said that like even though SC Works won a bunch of the races, it was really exciting a lot of the times and there was always something to talk about. I feel like we never struggled to make a podcast. So for me, I rate it as a successful spring classic season that I like honestly can't fathom that it's already over. It feels like we just watched Omloop last week. <laughs> it's gone so fast and I think that point about uh, it's still being interesting is a good one because, uh, you know, SD works won eight of the 11 one day world tour races this spring, which is incredible eight of 11. And yet it didn't feel stale. I mean, we probably would have liked a little bit more diversity if we could have chosen, but at the same time, the races were interesting, different riders were winning. And like you touched on there, Abby, we got to see, um, you know, some breakthrough successes like Sheeran Van Anroy winning in Binder and Pfeiffer Georgie winning at Depana and then of course Alison Jackson at Roubaix. So we got to see some big exciting surprise results in amongst all of the dominance. And in a way the dominance was uh was interesting as well. You know, just seeing the emergence of Vollering to that level was incredible. Russo we've already talked about. Um it's funny that, you know, riders like Weebus and Kopecky kind of get relegated to you know, second string on that team at the moment, given how good Vollering's been. But yeah, an incredible team. And and yet the spring was very engaging and interesting. Yeah, I 100% agree as well. So I've enjoyed every race. I'm always sad that the spring season's over. Uh, so I've enjoyed every race, bar, bar maybe Gantwevelgum, but I won't hold that against Risa. <laughs> All credit to her. That was a good ride, but it was boring. <laughs> <laughs> Great conditions, I mean, though. I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah. I guess the, I'm, I think the only race that disappointed me all season was Flanders, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, with the, the, the one climb that everybody just fell over. That was, yeah. Fair enough. That was the only one that I was like, I would have liked to see a little bit more of a fight. But it was still a really exciting win. And it's always cool to see Kopecky win on Belgian soil, so... Did we actually like talk about um, the Koppenberg, whether like we should have it in that race or not? Did we cover that in the Flanders episode? We didn't cover that. Do you have thoughts on it? Well, look, if I was Grace Brown, I would have been really pissed off. Like, don't get me wrong. That would have been really frustrating to have your race over. And that happened to heaps of people. Um, But on the other hand, like, that's the classics and um, Kopecky had to get off and walk as well. So it's, it was still about positioning and it's just like, it's just a brutal part of the course. And it's such a famous climb that I'm, I'm more on that side of the fence of like, just suck it up and just be in a better position. (laughs) (laughs) Just be good. Yeah, exactly. It's so easy. (laughs) It's so easy to say that from my chair now. (laughs) (laughs) I never had to raise No, I agree with you. Like, it, it's an iconic climb that's been a huge part of cycling. And I feel like maybe the bigger problem is for the women specifically that the men's whole Peloton and caravan came through it before they raced it. So I think it was maybe a little bit more challenging of conditions than it needed to be. But like, how are you going to, how are you going to fix that I, other than the me continuing to, bang on about how the women should race on a different day than the men like there's <laughs> there's things that you just can't uh that it would not be easy to like what are they going to do like get a fire truck out to hose down the climb before the women get there i don't yeah yeah mm-hmm. to, to argue though that the other point is like i actually preferred when they went up the mur and i think that they should do the older course um not the newer one i don't i think the koppenberg's cool but actually don't if they're never going to change it, I'm not against it. But if they could change the course again, I would go back to the old course and go up the Mur instead because, like, it just makes for a better race. And it, Flanders is really hard and you don't really need the Koppenberg to make it harder. And we all know the women can ride up it. Like, it's it's not a big deal. It just I just don't think that it makes the race. Every, there's just so many other cool climbs in that region of Flanders and the Mur is actually cooler because there's just always more people up there making a scene. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I guess I see both both <laughs> sides of it. So I don't really have an opinion after all that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> just wanted to talk about it. I just needed to get it off my chest. 
Uh, I totally get it. What else have you been obsessed with this week? Oh, I haven't thought about this enough. Oh, look. I know. I was also thinking about it today. I was like, what have I been obsessed with? Can I say that I've been obsessed with the drama around Taylor Swift and Joe Alwyn breaking up? But I don't think that I can... I don't think that that's something I'm willing to put out into the world. <laughs> oh, that's good. No, you're allowed to have that. We we all know that. No, that's not my obsession this week. <laughs> but I want to know what yours is. <laughs> oh, I really don't know. Um, I but, can go while you're thinking yeah, if you like, Gracie. Yeah, sorry. I'm having a mental blank. You go. <laughs> I was inspired by a few episodes ago when the rest of you were talking about uh, books you've been reading. So I have, I'm just about to finish uh, a giant sci-fi series called The Expanse. Um, it's been made into a TV show. The TV show is massive. I've held off on watching the TV show because I wanted to read all nine books first, and I'm just about to get to the end of the series, and it's been amazing. If you like, if you like sci-fi. Uh, it's perfect it's so well done um i'm having a great time with it and i am going to be sad when it's all done but i didn't get to watch the tv show so i'm very excited about that oh nice it's always good if you can read before you watch um Mm. it's tough to do especially fantasy novels by themselves are so big usually but a whole series like that's that's a good amount of work well done (laughs) it's taken some restraint not to just go oh i'll just watch it it's fine but i wanted to have my own ideas of what the characters look like and who they are before being told what they look like you know well here's a question have you also supplemented like listening to it on an audio form while you've been reading the nine books wow that's so impressive because i do that i i like if i'm trying to power through something like when i was reading um the Wheel of Time books, I, j- I could not get through them unless I listened to them on an aud- audio form. Yeah, that's another level. At a certain though. point, I broke, and I was like, no, I need to listen to it on Audible because I cannot read anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like 12 books or something, isn't it? At like 900 words each or something ridiculous. I think it's pages, 15, sorry. You need yeah. to put it on like 1.5 speed or something. Well, I've been similarly kind of obsessed with in the book realm, book to TV realm. Uh, they not recently, but earlier this year announced that they're making more Lord of the Rings movies that are not a remake of the original Lord of the Rings movies, but something new. And I hate this idea as much as I absolutely love the Lord of the Rings. And I hate it because of the Rings of Power, but it has um, encouraged me to rewatch the Lord of the Rings movies. So I've been rewatching the extended versions of the Lord of the Rings movies with all of the behind the scenes stuff, <laughs> which is just like a treasure trove. Good. Awesome content. And it has also driven me down like a black hole of Instagram uh Lord of the Rings content. <laughs> it's been just a joy. A joy to consume. So I've seen a few good uh seen some few good Lord of the Rings memes popping up. Must be because, like, it's kind of coming back into conversation now because of that new yeah, series. Yeah, it's on people's minds. Yeah. yeah. That- I mean, the Rings of Power series was just god-awful, but um, we'll see if the movies are better. Yeah, hopefully. Well, Matt, you just, like, said that you'd read all those books before watching the series. In general, books are usually better, but I think the Lord of the Rings is maybe the exception. They are hard it's- books to get through and the sh- the. Yes. the- <laughs> The movies are just so freaking good. <laughs> yeah. The movies are so good. I feel like it's it's a it's an even split for me. Like I've read the books like once a year since I was, I don't know, 16. So oh, wow. I love the books. And the movies I could probably recite the entirety of the extended editions. So I love them both. I feel like I love them both different ways. Like there's something so poetic about Tolkien's writing and just his the depth he goes into. And I feel like Peter Jackson did such a good job with the Lord of the Rings movies, like really making it his own and making it entertaining, but also keeping that, that heart that was in Tolkien's original works. So yeah, I love the movies. I've been really loving rewatching them. And if, if you guys haven't seen the, uh, the behind the scenes, stuff from those movies it is really really cool (laughs) to see like how they did all the sizing with the hobbits and like 
how much detail they went into reading the book and I can't <laughs> believe those films are made 20 years ago more than 20 years ago now I know they've they've held I think up. that's actually maybe maybe that's why I've been on it because they're trying to petition uh New Line Cinema to release the extended extended cut cuz there's <laughs> more scenes that they shot yeah there's more she- scenes that they shot that didn't make it into the movies they're already 4 so hours long <laughs> yeah well 4 hours isn't long enough for some of us <laughs> Okay, Gracie, what have you been obsessed with? And then we can wrap up. I'm glad that you mentioned audiobooks because I love Audible. That's like one of my favorite apps and that's how I get through a lot of books as well. And I prefer to actually get biographies because I like to hear the authors narrate their stories in their own words and their own intonations. And the one I'm really into at the moment is it's not new, but it's um, uh, an autobiography by Australian musician Claire Bowditch. And it's just um really great story, great life, um, beautiful um, storytelling through her songwriting kind of mixed in through the audio books. And that's an extra bonus that you don't get when you get to read the actual book is hearing some of the, the songs in context with the, the, the life story and events. So I've, I've read a few good musicians books and they often, you know, put in some music in there as well, which really adds to the listening experience. So highly recommend that book. Um, there's plenty in there for everyone. A lot about growing up. It's actually not heaps about music it's about you know growing up and and having a few struggles along the way so I'm getting a lot out of that and it's also just giving me that inspiration to go listen to more music again and and really good songwriting because I used to really love music when I was a teenager and then I've kind of just kind of fallen out of the habit of listening to it all the time because I'm a bit more obsessed with podcasts and books and audio books and I just it's just so nice to just sink into an album nowadays and with no other reason than to just listen. And I think that we just... Boy, do I have the podcast yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, can we interest you in a podcast <laughs> about music specifically? And what would that be called? Uh, it might be The Album Files. Yeah. Well, there you go. I w- maybe you should have a look at some of Claire Bowditch's stuff because it's beautiful songwriting. But, um, yeah, it's just nice because... I think we're just in this era of being like super productive and having to like learn stuff all the time. And it's just like, I'm, I'm preaching the, to the choir here and I'm sure heaps of people listening are super into music. But for me, I'm just rediscovering that love of music and just to be in it and not have to get anything out of it, but just enjoy it. So yeah, yeah two really kind cool. of obsessions, yeah. audiobooks and music. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to this podcast and we will be back next week as we dive into stage race season. Matt, Gracie, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. You too.